0: Yeah, check this next track out. You got asterisks in space. Watch your base bins, I'm telling you.
1: Welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Mark Archer. You know him best in disguise, shrouded in a chemical warfare suit and yellow mask with an A painted on it. This was the iconic uniform of his group, Alternate. Their infectious hardcore rave sound took the UK by storm in the 90s, landing them in giant warehouse raves and top of the pops alike. Archer has been in the rave scene for over three decades now. And as Holly Dicker found out in this conversation, he has the hilarious anecdotes to show it. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Mark Archer is up next.
2: It's the Tuesday after Bang Face Weekender 2016. I'd imagine there's a lot of rotten-feeling people out there right now, but you're mm. looking very sprightly.
3: I'm <laughs> trying, yeah.
2: <laughs> Can you um, tell me what happened this year? Any, um, were you playing twice again?
3: Well, I played on the Saturday um, in the Queen Vic. It's the first time I've done the Queen <gasps> Vic, so it was, yeah, and you know how hectic that room is. And I was doing a Trapman set, which is like the the more kind of techno stuff that I do, but it was a debut live set, so I've, I've not done it before, so okay. I was yeah I was a bit nervous to say the least
2: I know what the Queen Vic is like, but maybe our listeners won't
3: yeah it's a bit odd because it is like a proper pub stuck on the side of a pontins, and it's completely different to all the other rooms I mean you go in the main room and it is you know it's a really great venue the whole of that Pontin site's not glitzy at all oh, no. you know some are like the butlins at minehead is, you know very chrome and carpet kind of vibe whereas this it's the main hall is just a great big hall but the queen vic is like a dingy little pub
0: mm-hmm.
3: with a stage at the one end and then a, a weird kind of dance floor with a balustrade all the way around it and when it's full in there it's it's pretty intense and it was it was fantastic because it was a an isle of acid takeover okay and so, doubtful guest was on first. Then they had Chevron. Then Mark Forshaw. Then Posthume and then myself.
2: And was that the only set you played?
3: Then I did Sunday night. I did the opening set in the main room. Okay. Uh, like a DJ set again, playing acid. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Was it last last year or the, year before?
2: Yes, I was there. I remember. Yeah.
3: And he, James said, it, you know, it really worked. It warmed the room up yeah. nicely. So.
2: I went in at the start, it was empty, and then by the end of the set, looked around, the yeah. place was full, yeah. Yeah, ready to yeah. go.
3: Yeah, it is, it's a really nice set to play, you know, because you can see it filling up, so it's, it's cool. And There was you know, literally a handful of people in when I started, because no one turns up on time for anything today yeah. at Bang Face.
2: Okay, so for those that probably don't know about Bang Face, maybe you
3: can tell us what it's all about. It's tagged um, Neo Rave.
2: And what does that mean?
3: <laughs> God only I mean, knows. I think James is the only person who, who exactly knows what Neo Rave, but it is possibly the closest thing to an old school rave you're gonna get. Not the music necessarily, because what we used to make as Alternate was classed as hardcore, but it's certainly not hardcore in comparison to, to the rest of the music at Bang Face. Mm. But it, it does range from you know, like, like acid and techno and then what we do like the old school hardcore thing and then the BPMs tend to rise from there you know with GABA and it's... Well, I
2: have to say normally the Queen Vic is sort of Gabba central isn't it for, mm.
3: for the weekend or or you've got and um, the likes of the Squire of Gothos and their really wonky baseline kind of yeah vibe in there. So, I mean, the acid stuff was, was pretty calm, mm. really. Apart from Doubtful Guest, whose her stuff was, you know, a bit more towards the end scale. And, and
2: she's sort of <clears throat> been there from the beginning, hasn't she, I mm, think? Mm. What was the theme of this year's Bang Face Weekender?
3: It was Saints or Sinners, which was a, a, a weird one. I was going to originally go with Santa Claus. <laughs> okay. But I couldn't put enough of weight on for the vibe, so yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did me? you dress up?
3: No, I didn't. Fail. I, I, do, I normally do.
2: Yeah.
3: One year I went as Captain Raveman. Okay. And no one knew it was me, because it was, a, it was like a full Captain Caveman suit. And they got got like these massive caveman feet on a big club. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be standing next to people who I'd been hanging around all weekend, banging them on the head. Yeah. and. Um, I had no idea it was me.
2: No idea. I
3: freaked Ed DMX out a bit when I said, it's Mark.
2: (laughs) Can you tell me why Bang Face is special? We've illustrated it, Mm. some elements of it.
3: It's just got this really, really friendly vibe about the whole thing. I mean, it's the, the one festival where, like Nikki one time, she left the main room to go back to one of the chalets. And you know, it's pitch dark, you don't know anyone. But the amount of people who offered to walk with her to the chalet to make sure she got there okay—it's it, ridiculous. The vibe in the in the rooms—it's as, as close as you're ever going to get to like an old school rave. It's just everyone going for it. You know, you, you could be on stage playing pots and pans and they'd uh, be going off. <laughs> yeah. But the, I mean, the reason it's really special for me is there was a time when I wasn't allowed to use the the alternate name for a bit, and no old school promoter. You know, all, the, all the, the, the big rave promoters who I used to play for, if it didn't have alternate on the fly, they didn't want to know. So I lost bookings. I mean, it got to the point where eventually I lost my house. So there was only a few people who continued to book me, and James is one of those. James and, and Josh at Isle of Acid, you know, so they really helped because, you know, the, the bookings just completely dropped off. And, and James consistently, you know, books me every year, which is... It's very special.
2: So what was the first gigs that you played as alternate coming back? Was it at Bang Face or was it a Block?
3: We were asked to DJ as alternate and I'd never... So who's we at this? this Well, it was myself and Mark, who was our second MC. Mm -hmm. Now he, he MC'd from about 91 until we stopped doing PAs in the end of 93, but we stayed friends and we were asked to DJ, and this was, I think, in 99. And I just said, oh, do you fancy DJing with me? So I used to DJ, and he'd DJ alongside or, or MC.
2: And would you be dressed up with a full... I did, mm-hmm.
3: if I was asked. A lot of time I didn't, you know, because it was a DJ set. And then hot. occasionally people would say, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean why, it wasn't the best idea I've ever had in my life, wearing a suit in a club, I mean, especially back then when there was no air conditioning, oh, okay. you know, it was absolutely jitters. But, you know, even now, yeah, I put it on. Sometimes I can just about manage an hour and then quietly go away and die.
2: Has it experienced sort of some redesigns over the years? Perhaps well, have more air infiltration? No,
3: <laughs> see, again, I've not been that clever. Right. I, I mean, the original suit went into retirement in 2015. So it lasted from '91 through to t- 2015, and that's when we s- we started to do um, like the new pa's when Josh joined me. Mm-hmm. So Josh needed a suit, so mine would have looked incredibly tatty compared to his. Mm-hmm. So I-, I got probably a smelled one. quite bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we first started, because when I first started making music and when we first started alternate, we never thought it was going to last. You know, I don't. You know, we might do one gig and that's it. So. We did the gig, put the suits in a bag. We were asked to do another gig, put the suits in. And after about three times, I thought, you know, these are going to start walking on stage on their own. If, if you don't bung them in and wash you, So, uh, yeah.
2: But surely it's not washable material?
3: Well, we, we cut all the, um, the charcoal out from the insides of the suits, okay. which a lot of people who've seen us wear suits and go and buy themselves on and then go to a rave wearing it. And it's lined with charcoal. So they, when they take it off, they, they're black. Yeah, completely. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I mean, the, the charcoal bit is the really thick bit. The green bit's quite thin. Yeah. So yeah, we cut all that. Like, I mean, it takes hours to create a proper paint. So is
2: this a tip for all you yeah, alternate friends. imitations out there? Cut the charcoal out yes,
3: first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't redesigned it at all. I mean, the suits are made in, I think the one I got, it's still got a packing slip when you buy them and it was made in 1983 and has been vacuum packed since then. Wow. Yeah, so.
2: So we've wandered dramatically off course. (laughs) I think we were talking about your first DJ set. Yeah. Coming back.
3: So we DJed together as myself and Mark. And then someone asked me in 99, would you do a PA? I said, well, I don't know whether you know, but you know, as a group, we split up. Well, it was very early 94. And he said, I don't care who's on stage. We just want you know you to play the music. Mm. So I managed to get Mark, who was our second MC, and one of our original dancers, another mate who used to dance for Bizarre Inc, and then Danny Taurus, who I did slow motion with after Alternate. He stood in wearing the other suit. Okay. So. And where was that? I was in Nottingham
2: okay. and
3: again I thought you know it was like someone's mm-hmm. doing an old school revival gig that'll be that mm-hmm. but after that you know the gigs started coming through as far as like DJing mm-hmm. so myself and Mark DJed right through until I think it was about 2011 sometime like that.
2: When did Josh become involved as the sort of honorary second member?
3: That was 2015.
2: Okay, so that's quite recent. Yeah, then.
3: so we did. I mean, I'd been working with Josh since about 2008, mm-hmm. when um, I messaged him on Myspace <gasps> to say, because <good. laughs> I'd heard about Isle of Acid. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'd love to play Isle of Acid. And then I, I had a few tunes out on his label, Vulcan Vinyl, and we'd done remixes of, of Frequency and Armageddon that had come out. But the whole come about of us being able to like use the name was a campaign on Facebook in 2013.
2: We should go Hit back a lane. little bit right. further and cool. explain what happened in your own words. <laughs>
3: right, originally we started alternating in 1990. Yeah. Had some success in 91, 92. It kind of completely died down in 93. And we did a single called Everybody, which was to thank everybody for all the support all the rest and kind of go out, you know, rather than flog a dead horse and keep going on with something and it kind of, you know, die down, die down and then Mm -hmm. just forget about it. Because there was a big kind of backlash against our rave scene and Mm -hmm. at that time. And we wanted to concentrate on the Nexus 21 project that we were doing before Mm -hmm. Alternate. So that was the plan. So we did the single Everybody. We were still doing a few gigs abroad, but none in the UK. But by that time, after working with Chris for a few years, he was more interested in computers and I was interested in music. Mm -hmm. We were having musical differences at the time Mm -hmm. and he just didn't, we we booked into the studio for like two weeks and we didn't get anything done. I was recording stuff with, with different people and on my own. For one reason or another, he wanted to sue me Okay. which was, you know, it's a bit, bit strange, but that's when you kind of stop working with someone.
2: Mm. that'll do it.
3: Mm, so, um, so that's when I just continued doing stuff on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, we completely stopped the alternate thing, it was like we had a business partnership and everything, it was all dissolved in 94, and then I was doing Zen Mantra stuff, DJ Next, and then I started working with Danny Torres as slow motion.
2: Mm-hmm. I'd like to pick up on sort of this whole backlash against rave around sort of 94. Can you sort of maybe dig a bit deeper into Well, there's
3: the, the, I mean, a lot of magazines at the time, you know, when something was new, they'd big it up and there was loads of pieces in it. When it'd been going a few years and it's like, oh, it's old hat, it's a load of crap, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. They did the whole thing with Liam from The Prodigy. Yeah. He went on the cover of Mixmag and apparently the story goes, he did a whole photo shoot, He was asked, hold the gun to your head, and, oh, don't worry, it won't be used. And the headline was, did Charlie kill Rave?
2: <laughs> okay.
3: It's just like, so then, you know, you know, when people who follow certain things, they aren't necessarily mad into it. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, Rave's dead. Yeah.
2: But surely there's other factors to it. That oh, was there's
3: that. I mean, the criminal justice bill came along, yeah. which really, you know, hurt the outdoor raves and, you know, the, the whole illegal rave scene. And then there was a shift to like the super club culture and, you know, handbag and all that lot. Mm -hmm. The music was also changing. I mean, it was splitting up to like techno, happy hardcore and jungle. And it's not the kind of thing that would suit alternate. You know, we made that particular sound. Mm. So it was like, we didn't want to change the sound and try and follow something. You know, we were making a certain sound and it just felt wrong to, Mm. to do that, so. Loads of factors why we just decided let's just call it a day.
2: In hindsight, looking at it, it's almost it seems like you preempted this whole like you you pulled out just at the right time. But I, I guess it probably wasn't like that.
3: Well, oh, you know, loads of people said, "Oh, I bet you wish you carried on and you know gone a bit rocky and done this and followed the prodigy." But you know, that's that's their path. Mm. That wasn't what we wanted to do.
2: Yeah. And sort of talking about The Prodigy, was there a sort of rivalry between you two? Was that very much a, a, it,
3: a media it, pitch? Yeah, it was a thing in one of their videos mm. where some geezer was wearing a white suit and dancing like a demented chimp. Mm. And it was... Everyone was like, oh, look, they're knocking you.
0: Mm. Like,
3: well, are they or are they just doing a representation of someone at a rave? You know, mm. you, so everyone's like, oh, you know, The, oh, the Prodigy is taking a piss. This, that and the other. We only ever met them the once, and they were very quiet.
2: <laughs> I can't imagine them being quiet.
3: Yeah, Hardly said a word. <laughs> you, you know, it was in it was in Stafford. So it was like a bit of a hometown kind of gig. Yeah. So we got quite a big fan base there.
2: What's the year? That was 1992.
3: OK. Mm. So it was, you know, we'd not play because there was nothing in Stafford at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like no, no clubs at the time. No raves or whatever. So when there was one in in Stafford, you know everyone from Stafford went. So
2: was this where the famous one in 1991 at Shelley's Club in right. Stafford?
3: No, that's that's in Stoke, which is like the okay. next the next, next town north. Okay. Because Stoke did have a scene all the way through, like acid house in '88. Right. Um, it had a it had a brilliant scene there, and then just pre to like the whole hardcore thing. There's a club called Introspected that I used to go to. So all the way from like eighty-eight onwards I was going to Stoke. Sometime, I think it was in nineteen ninety, they started doing this thing at Shelley's Laser Dome. Okay. Which was a it was a horrible little club before it turned into what, you know, everyone knows it as. Um, they didn't refurbish it or anything. It Can just you
2: describe what it was like
3: in there? Polished dance floor, loads of like carpet around the side that you stuck to. It
2: smells bad. Yeah, yeah.
3: like a blue one of those shaped lights that said, Shelly's Down oh, okay. on the back of the stage. <laughs> nice. But it was just then about the music and it was rammed every single week. Mm-hmm. I mean, it started off more housey and there was a night on the Friday where Sasha played and it was a lot more housey and then on the Saturday it was like the more hardcore night. So we used to go, if we weren't doing a PA, we used to go every week.
2: Just as, as punters? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Chris didn't because he didn't like the music, but me and, and like the, the two guys who danced for us and the MC. And you know, there's people there from Scotland, there's people there from London, people from Wales, Sheffield, everywhere. Yeah. You know, you'd either go to Shelley's or the Eclipse in Coventry. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do some some footage for Activate, which was it was our third release, and Infiltrate, the one before it, had done like really well. Mm-hmm. So we did the track, got a, an acetate of it cut, played it at, at the club. It was like the first time it had been played anywhere. Mm-hmm. Went down really well. So we decided what we'll do is a video shoot at the club, but people used to come out of the club. And then stand around the cars, mm-hmm. doors open, stereos on, mm-hmm. and just dance for you know, carry on yeah,
0: the
3: party, or or go up to like the, the services on the M6. I had no idea why, but didn't I just used to go home, you know, have something to eat, go sleep. <laughs> and I had no idea why people are doing it, but if people want to dance like outside, why don't we give them, you know, like something to dance to? Yeah. And so we put a 5k rig on the back of um, a flatbed truck. Got there at five in the afternoon and parked it up so it just look as though, you know, like a truck has pulled into the car park and he's, he's gone to sleep for the night. Mm-hmm. About 15 minutes before the end of the club finished, we all went outside, waited until everyone came outside and pulled the side up of the truck and just did a PA in the car park just to get footage. So we video company have been in the club all night
2: okay. filming
3: like actually in the club.
2: So did the club know that you were doing this? Yeah. Okay, so it yeah. wasn't like no no no, covert no no
3: operation. No one apparently knew, you know, like wise yeah. that we were doing it. But allegedly someone had phoned around quite a few places and said something's gonna happen yeah. at Shelley's. Yeah. So there was more people outside than there were in the club.
0: Yeah.
3: We got footage inside the club and then waited for everyone to come out and there was like, you know, the film of the whole car park absolutely rammed people dancing on top of cars. Mm-hmm. And then there was this chap called Dominic Green who was like a, a freelance reporter and he did pieces for BBC Radio Stoke. Mm-hmm. And he went round with a DAP machine and a microphone interviewing people oh, and doing like these little bits to introduce what was going on.
2: Did you do that together or? No, we had he no idea.
3: His... He, was, he was just doing it. He was one of the people who heard about it. Okay. We eventually got his recording and pressed it up on vinyl.
2: Oh, brilliant! Yeah,
3: and there's bits of it because he he was like they're going mad, and we we got him to in the studio to re-record those bits and put them on Evaporate, oh, brilliant. which was the next single. Okay. You know, the, this is the moment they've all been waiting for. Yeah,
2: that's
0: from.
3: That was him, like just before everyone stood in the car park doing the sort doing of doing his little drops.
2: That's amazing. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a massive grin on my face.
3: <laughs> but we actually asked him to be in the Evaporate video and do the whole bit, and he didn't turn up. What? That's why we've got a bottling at the beginning of the video.
2: What's
3: the bodlin? It's like a 90s toy. It's like okay. a ru- really ugly rubber monster. Okay. That you put your hand in. It's got these little okay. arms at the side and a tail and mad punk hair. Yeah. It's eyes move about and stuff. And that was the only thing that we could find that we could... You know, get he was a bit upset. Well, uh, he
2: should have turned yeah,
3: up. Yeah, totally.
2: There are so many great videos, but what's your favourite one?
3: Uh, the ones that we've that done? That
2: you've made, yeah.
3: Probably the Activate video, to be honest. I mean, the, the, there, was, there was the footage at, at Shelley's. Then there was the footage outside of the car park and everything. Mm. And then we did a, a, a shoot afterwards where we were in Chentham Gardens which is near Stoke-on-Trent. Mm-hmm. There's a portion in the video where we jump over the camera and it's like we go from one reality to another. We got a, a guy on stilts a big, dressed as a robot yeah. walking around old buildings while me and Chris are playing the violin part. Yeah. Now we got a tape player so we could get everything in time, but the noise that was coming out wasn't nice <laughs> at all. So we, did, we got quite a crowd of people who were just like walking around, you know, like like the gardens at Alton Towers, you know, everyone's like just wandering around looking at nice flowers and stuff. And then there's these two blokes wearing chemical warfare suits screeching on violence.
2: <laughs> I'd like to know where you got the tank from in the, uh, what
3: was it, the, the Evaporate video. Yeah, that was a, a funny one to be honest because we did like the whole scene at the beginning where that was supposed to be a day in the life of alternate, mm-hmm. a very surreal day in the life. Mm-hmm. So we got a bit where we woke up, go and have breakfast, and we're throwing like cornflakes out our faces because we got masks on. Yeah. There's Cres, our dancer like dancing about in the kitchen, and then I don't know whose idea it was. Let's get some tanks. Of course. And <laughs> yeah, what, that's what we do after breakfast. Why not? And then they spent pretty much the whole budget. We didn't make a lot off that single because the 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 video budget was absolutely ridiculous because we had, I think there was. The amphibious vehicle that we drove round Stafford, mm. and then another two tanks, plus all the transporters, to get them from where they were based to there. The cost of it all, the drivers, the mm. petrol, everything. It was.
2: Was that yeah. the most expensive? Yeah, yeah.
3: We kind of like scaled it down a bit for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> did it in someone's house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but where did you get the tanks from? Where there's
3: just a company where you can hire you know, for like war reenactment mm. kind of things. Okay. And they'd got like a whole row of these tanks. But the amphibious one, someone came out with the idea, right at the end of the video, it goes into water. And they'd film the reservoir without the tank and then film the reservoir with the tank and mould the two together so we evaporate thin right. air. But we're all stood on the back of this massive chunk of metal as it goes into water and thinking, this thing's not gonna float. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily it did.
2: Okay. How did you get P.P. P. Arnold from the KLF involved in that track?
3: It was um, one of Neil's ideas, Neil Rushton, the, mm-hmm. the label boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's one of these people He's very much like Josh, comes up with fantastic ideas, you know, brilliant ideas for a, a concept of something and then, like, the covers and this, and we can do this, we can do that. Even being a Northern Soul DJ, and he'd already been thinking about the a track called Shame and, and, and stuff like that. And he was digging through like old tunes. And we knew that she would got a great voice from like the, the old tracks that she was doing. She'd done, I think it was um, a single with the Beatmasters a few years previously, like an acid housing. Mm-hmm. So we knew that she was a great voice from back then, but also she, you know, she was back doing tracks
0: mm-hmm.
3: and knew the kind of vibe. So Neil got in contact with her. Got her up to Stafford, and I went and picked her up from the train station in a mini. She was expecting something a bit more lavish. I think she wanted, like, you know, a chauffeur all the way from London to Stafford. Okay. She wasn't happy at all. But um, I know she did a, a fantastic job. Mm. Then she came on Top of the Pops with us. Mm-hmm. It was at the time because we we kind of suffered with Activate. They just bought this new re- ruling on Top of the Pops that you had to sing live. Mm. So a lot of the rave acts had used vocal samples, so then you had to try and get someone to replicate the vocal sample, which is not easy. I mean, we got a girl who was in the Activate video, who was dancing. She was like, I can sing. We heard her sing in the van, everything was cool, right? Yeah. We get her on top of the pops, she froze.
2: And is this the point when it's in a live audience, filmed live, basically?
3: Yeah. So If you're Tina Turner and you're not happy with your performance, they'll re-record you later on.
2: Yeah.
3: We weren't happy, but they were like, yeah, that was fine, So, And we thought, we'd, we'd gone in straight at I think it was number 12 or whatever, and we thought, that's it, we're going out.
2: Mm-hmm. Was that your first time on top of the Pops?
3: D- yes. The video for Infiltrate had been shown on top of the Pops, but it didn't, I think it got, got to 28, so it was like, if we'd have gone in higher, we might have got, you know, an actual performance. And then Infiltrate, I mean, Activate went straight in at 12, so it's like, you know, highest new entry. Pfft. Mm. It's mental, after watching it, you know, as a kid, and you know, oh, I'm gonna be on top of the pops. It's filmed in the same studios as, as EastEnders, so like the Mitchell brothers were there, and Doc really? Cotton was, it was mad. And then you've Did got you like- you them? Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're all eating in the canteen and we just, you know, we were like a bunch of 20 year old lads sat there just pointing at people, oh my God. And then uh, uh, Ricky is Sid Owen. Mm-hmm. He was into the whole rave thing, so he sat at the back to watch like the bands because Rosalà was on as well as us mm-hmm. that one week. And th- it's recorded as it's shown, so they do they do like the whole show in one in one go. So they do like the titles. They introduce, bang, the cameras go to that one. Mm-hmm. And while say if this is the, the studio, you've got one stage on one side. Mm-hmm. One stage on another wall, one stage on another wall, another stage on so everyone's stood on stage is ready to go. Right. You've got the crowd in front of one stage, and while they're doing the link between that one and that one, everyone moves from the front of that stage. It's not a rammed room, yeah. it's just a few people around the front of a stage.
2: Shuffling around Yeah. In a so they're
3: all herded place. round. <laughs> okay. Get them onto that stage, boom, off they go.
2: So does that mean you're sort of stood there on this plinth? waiting nervously until yeah
3: under all the lights with the suit on
2: no wonder the girl froze <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah so it got to that bit she froze yeah. wasn't fantastic Steve Wright on radio one did a whole skit about rave bands with their and kept playing like this a, a rave mock-up song with a really awful vocal on it mm. and we thought you know we we're gonna go out but luckily it went up and then we got proper singer for our next performance.
2: Yeah, so yeah. How, many, how many times have you been on Top of the Box now?
3: So? I think it was five in total with the different, different tracks that we did and different performances for, for each track. But the reason we got P.P. P. Arnold, getting back to the original yeah. question, was <clears throat> because she was a proper singer. Mm. If you get her on the song, you know, she can belt out the song. And if we do live performances or whatever, she'll be able to sing it exactly the same. Which she did, you know.
2: Didn't the stilt-walking robots join you on one of he,
3: them? He turned up on that, because Top of the Pops like you to bring something new mm. each time. If you're gonna do the same performance as you did with the last single, it's gonna be two blokes with ponytails, like jamming behind a keyboard. Oh, we've done that before, we want something different. So every time, so the first time there is the dancers, a live MC, and the singer, and me and Chris, And then the second time we bought loads of banners and stuff with us, we'd added like a a complete suit change Mm. which there was a very short-lived image change in 92. Okay. It was another not fantastic idea because we wore plastic capes, which made it even hotter.
0: Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So we managed to get on the front cover of Mixmag with it, new image, and then after about two weeks we sacked it off because it was just like, oh, it was ridiculous. Okay. I was not the cleverest person about to be honest.
2: I think there's been lots of wonderful failures throughout the alternate career. My favorite might have to be the hot air balloon Christmas pudding incident, which never happened, but became an article anyway. Mm. So, What was the idea behind that?
3: The press officer, John McCready at Network, He came out with loads of like mad pranks. Because one time we turned up at network in my mini and and it was on a side road. And me and Chris pulled up outside and everyone saw it was us. So we carried on driving for a bit and then reversed back and then drove forward again. (laughs) And we did this for like 15 minutes. Isn't
2: that on one of the videos?
3: Yes, there are daft bits in it trying to replicate daft things that we'd done so john knew that we were a pair of idiots (laughs) so he's like if they're going to be that stupid in real life let's really go off on on things so he came out with loads of little pranks i mean there was tiny bits to keep your name in the newspaper like we'd invented real disco biscuits for peckish ravers (laughs) mini air horns because people used to get air horns taken off from going into a rave so it's like pocket air horns and stuff And the papers, you know, freely printed all this.
2: And did you sort of actually manufacture these?
3: No, 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 it was all totally, totally... There's one story about we had a massive bonfire with a sacrificial offering of the original dat of Frequency okay. so that when it was pressed up, that was it. It was never happening again. Yes. I've still got the dat now. There was no bonfire, nothing. But people actually turned up in Stafford wanting to know where the bonfire was. <laughs> So the, the Christmas pudding idea was a magazine wanted to do an article. So we pitched this idea at them that what we'll do is get some Christmas puddings mm-hmm. and they were titled Brand E Christmas okay. Puddings. And we were going to go up in a hot air balloon, drop Christmas puddings to people in Stafford until someone decided that it'd be a bit of a daft idea because a projectile dropping from a hot air balloon would probably kill someone. (laughs) And we didn't even get the hot air balloon off the back of the lorry, Uh, because the weather was too bad. So we got in the basket on the back of the lorry. Cameraman lay on his back and took photos of us in the basket with the clouds behind us. Mm -hmm. So it looked like we were up in the air. Mm. Did the whole magazine article, and then we went round Stafford trying to hand out these Christmas puddings. But if you've ever walked through a town and someone in a chemical warfare suit tries to give you a Christmas pudding, you're not gonna take it.
2: They're not having it.
3: So no one had one.
2: What a shame. Mm. Was all of this sort of about courting the media or whose idea was it?
3: It's courting the media and also giving the group a bit of a larger than life image. Mm. You know, it was like, there were so many, so many like bands of, of a certain level in, in the rave thing, you know, like SL2, mm-hmm. uh, Dream Frequency, Prodigy, uh, Bizarre Inc. And everyone, you know, if everyone went on stage and did the same thing, you know, it's it, it all got a bit kind of samey. And it was the reason we started with the suits was just to differentiate ourselves between Nexus 21 and mm-hmm. Alternate, you know, mm-hmm. so it's. So we didn't look the same as ourselves when we went on stage, you know, we'd done a Nexus 21 PA at a club, and then a couple of months later we did alternate, and he's like, I just thought, we're gonna look exactly the same if we don't cover this up. And then it was like, wait a minute, there's this whole, there's this whole thing about faceless techno-bollocks. Mm. You know, no one can see your face.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then it got to the point where people, they don't even think that there's someone in the suit. That's alternate, you know, there's.
2: It's the suit itself. There is no person. Mm.
3: And naturally, I'm pretty shy. Mm. So being able to wear a suit and no one can see you can act a complete plunker on stage. Mm -hmm. And we'd gone from playing live as Nexus 21. You know, everything was coming out drum machines or whatever. But it, it was then it was us standing there looking down at a keyboard and pressing things and concentrating and we wanted to put on more of a show. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: So we kind of like stripped the whole element where you can get things wrong. Got these old keyboards and like, just karate chopped them while we were Yeah, I mean, I got, you know, like proper bruises and blisters on my fingers and stuff while while we were doing it. And there weren't, at one point, there wasn't wasn't even a a plug on the end of the keyboard, you know, it was just, and people used to come up and go, oh, what are those? They've got all the noises in, haven't they?
2: Not even plugged
3: in. But it was, you know, it just make the riffs bigger by, you know, pronouncing it Mm. kind of thing on on stage. And it was just gave it more of a show, you know, with the dancers and then obviously the robot who came on on tour with us and stuff. So
2: So it sounds like it's always been projected to be a live thing. Mm. So what about then alternating the studio? What was that like? Was it, again, just sort of very serious... Or were you. <laughs> no, as...
3: There was um, a young lad who used to work at the studio, and you know, he'd just been taken. Obviously, you get the crap jobs when you're the young lad, he was like. And the engineer, you said, Go and make us a cup of tea, would you? No, I'm not making tea. I'm here to learn how to engineer. So we had this hammer called the Bringer of the Brew that he was threatened with. He didn't actually hit him. But I mean, one time it, we, we pranked him that much. The studio was at the end of this little courtyard, muse area, and there was like hairdressers and little restaurants. So there was loads of ladies going backwards and forwards with the blue rinse and things. And we got a studio chair and got all the audio cables out of the studio and tied him to this chair and put him out in the middle of the courtyard while we carried on recording. And he couldn't move and all these ladies were like walking past him, going to the cars, pulling up behind him and then back in the horns. And he couldn't move.
2: Tormented. Yeah,
3: honestly, we do like really daft things. There was another engineer there. There was uh, like um, this isopropanol alcohol to clean the tape heads, mm. and he just used to get a capful of it and pour it on his laces and set fire to them, so all his laces would go and his <laughs> shoes would drop off. <laughs> so it was it was exactly the same. Right. they okay. idiots, really. So,
2: but then. Compare that to Nexus 21, which I guess was the opposite.
3: Yeah, but I mean, because that, that came earlier mm. and it was, it was a very kind of serious thing. I guess it was because it was the first thing that me and Chris had done together. You know, it was kind of developing the working relationship and it was, it was quite set out at the start, to be honest, because I was crap at playing keyboards. I did most of the engineering and taking like, records in and stuff, and I wanna play something like, like that. And then Chris would just jam on a keyboard mm-hmm. you know, until he'd do something that was kind of on the right lines and then you know, maybe change that bit or whatever. And then we'd get somewhere. So I'd, I'd do all the drums and everything. It was very set out. But by the time we were doing like the alternate thing, I'd kind of taken over quite a bit of, mm-hmm. of what was going on. And we were you know, just dicking about in the studio.
2: I mean, the name itself, Alternate, uh, is actually a typo.
3: Yes, is that correct. a complete typo, yeah. We were doing tracks in, in Blue Chip Studios, which was in Stafford, which is where I first started recording in about 88. And by the end of 89, as a, a commercial venture, it, it ceased trading. So it was locked, it was closed up. And the record label that we were assigned to went bump it was that point, you know, that could have been the end of my career. And then I bumped into Neil Rushton in a little club near Cannock. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, we've got your album in the in the office. Why well, didn't you come over? And we got signed to to Network Records. And we didn't get paid from the first studio at all. We were allegedly given studio time in, you know, as payment. Mm-hmm. But it's like, You're given studio time to make records for you to sell and make money and we weren't getting a penny at all. Mm. So we said like, you know, you owe us some money. So the chap was like, I'll give you the keys to the studio. You're not supposed to be in there, but you can have a couple of weeks in there. We went in and recorded, I think it was about nine tracks, played them to network and they're like, Nexus 21 is, is this, it's like Detroit techno.
0: Mm.
3: And these have gotten like more ravey influences. You can tell it's made by the same people. Mm-hmm but it's, it's not Nexus 21. And Chris said, well, I used to be in a, a band at school called Alienate, let's call ourselves that. Mm-hmm. And that was that until we turned back up at the office where they got like finished copies. It didn't even go out as a DJ promo, mm-hmm. you know, because there was eight tracks on it. They thought because of the value money side of things, you know, there's no point promo in it and everything. It's just go with eight tracks. Everyone will buy because there's eight on there. Mm-hmm. And he said alternate on these big stickers. I'm like, uh, Neil, this is wrong. <laughs> well, it's a bit late now. That kind of saves the day for later on with the whole who owns the name bit. So.
2: Why? Because then? Because
3: Chris didn't think of it. It was the record label, and they, they were cool with me using it later on, so it's off you go.
2: So, you sort of mentioned it a bit earlier, but the saving grace. Of you reclaiming the name was um, a Facebook.
3: Post. Yes. Right. How did that happen? It was sat up <laughs> in bed one morning and Nikki says to me, Have you seen this on Facebook? It's a campaign to get Activate back in the charts. This yes. was in 2013. And there was like, I think 60 likes on it. Very flattering that someone's done that. You know, it's like of all the tunes to yes. try and get back in the charts, yes. why would you do that? So, Nikki posted it up on her Facebook. I posted it on my Facebook. By the end of the weekend, it got like five thousand likes, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And it was like maybe this is, you know, could be a serious thing. Spoke to the bloke who'd started the campaign, and he had no idea. It, it was just an idea. Mm. He didn't know he was going to do what he did. In a way, he's changed the history of the band. Completely. I mean, there's remixes of that song that are about, that wouldn't have been about because of him. Mm -hmm. But there's certain rules to get tracks in the charts and it's got to be on iTunes Mm -hmm. and there's got to be, you know, single versions and stuff. So we had to speak to the record label to see whether they would get it up onto iTunes for us and get everything put in place. And they were like, we've got a matter of weeks to do it. And they're like, well, are you going to do some remixes? So I had to call in like loads of favours, get people to do to, loads of remixes for it. Like, and like who? Rocket Pimp, who did um, a dubstep mix. There was Tommy Sunshine and Ghost Effects from, from America, who did a, quite a VDM-y kind of mix. There was King Youth and Bunter, who did a mix. AGT Rave Crew did a mix. And we got a Deep House mix by Lucius Project. A Shadow Dancer. Did an acid house mix. DJ Fantasy did a drum bass mix. So it was a whole brace of you know mixes, just trying you know cover all bases, just to help out um, you know its chances of getting in the charts. Normally radio don't support They didn't support the rave scene back then because they weren't breaking the songs at all. You know it was like these songs are going straight in the charts and we haven't played it at all. So they didn't. The only person who used to play any of our stuff was Mark Goodyear in it of an evening, you know. The only other time it was played was on the chart rundown. So again, they completely, you know, dismissed the attempt and didn't get radio play. And their single of the week, which is, you know, they won own, went in the charts lower than we did. So it was, that was nice.
2: But what about reclaiming the name?
3: Obviously having meetings with the record label mm-hmm. to sort this out. I said about you know, the, the whole thing with the name, and they were like, well, you two didn't think up the name. No one can own it more than the other.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: no one can claim ownership and you can't use it. You know, it's like the record label thought the name and they said, well, if you want to use it, go ahead. They've not got any problems.
2: Because of the typo.
3: Mm. So, ching <laughs> It was nice because, you know, people were always asking, because I was DJing, you know, all the way through the 2000s. What about live set? I said, well, I I can do a DJ set where I'm playing all alternate stuff and I've you know, the original, well, the the second MC and the dancers and stuff, but it can't be a live set, as it were.
0: Right.
3: You know, so I did a few of those at at Bang Face, Mm -hmm. you know, where I'd do like so many alternate tunes and do a DJ set and we'd have the dancers and everything. Being able to actually do you know, like a proper live set. I mean, we did the first one at 2015 at Bang Face and I'd never, never touched Ableton before oh. that night.
0: <laughs> oh. no. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, yeah, okay. it, was, it was a bit nerve wracking. Well, so, you know, Josh had done it so many times as AGT rave post posthume, I and, you know, he, just,
0: mm.
3: he knew it like the back of his hand. And we prepared this set and then it was like, I'm on stage. Like bringing things in and out.
2: By the sounds of it, you know that's sort of what you've always been mm. doing. Oh, it's so chaotic, it, yeah. It, it didn't really matter. Yeah, and yeah. As someone who was in the crowd, it looked like
3: we knew what we were doing. <laughs> it yeah, yeah. Like how it yeah. should mm. be. I know it was. It was brilliant. I mean, how things go down at Face. Yeah, you know, it was fantastic. You know, James then asked us to do it the year after, mm-hmm. which is when me and Nikki got married at, at yes. Bangface. Yeah.
2: So yes, you had um, a Bang Face wedding, mm. right. Can you <laughs> elaborate what that means? Or um, what that could possibly mean?
3: <clears throat> well, we properly got married in Southport on the day. Mm-hmm. And then the registrar said, you can't get anywhere nice? Yeah, we're going to Ponting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight over to, to Bang Face. And Bang Face have an opening ceremony on Friday nights, where it's like everyone goes to the opening ceremony and then there's the closing one on Sunday night.
2: It's the um, ritual yeah. of bank Faces. And it? it's, yeah.
3: you know, they have like really daft things going <laughs> off and they get like, occasionally they like guest presenters like that, Dave Benson Phillips, who used to be on kids TV with a big gunge tank and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they've had Tim Westwood before now. At the closing ceremonies they've had people like Chaz and Dave.
0: Yeah.
3: And, you know, it's like, it's just totally bonkers.
2: James suspended on wires. Yeah. For the Superman. Saint
3: Acid, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like... So James was like, how do you fancy doing a, a rave wedding? James goes all out mm-hmm. on the ideas. So he, as Saint Acid, did the whole wedding, mm-hmm. conducted it. Uh, we had to have uh, two people ordained into the rave, so they could be our witnesses. Okay. And they asked two people in the crowd. Obviously, you didn't hear a word that James was saying so they had to go backstage, sign a disclaimer, and then were whisked off to a massive dunk tank. Oh no. Sat on a chair, and they even when they were sat on the chair, they didn't realise they they're going to be dropped into this big dunk tank, which originally they wanted to put in the middle of the floor. Mm-hmm. But when it was filled with water, it would have caved the floor in. Oh, my so they had to put it at the side on the concrete. Yeah. So again, it was, it was very chaotic, you know, the health and safety aspect of it. So we got these two people, ordained into the rave, and they came up on stage absolutely soaking wet.
2: Oh, so the dunking is the ordained? Yeah. Right, okay.
3: Like, you know, the whole rave baptism thing. Right. And then Bosch, they were on stage, they'd rewritten some hymns, give me joy in my heart, keep me raving, Uh words on big screens at the sides, so the whole crowd could join in. They'd got a girl on stage singing it, so everyone could sing along. And then from the wedding, we went straight into a live PA. So mine and Nikki's first dance was Evaporate.
2: Brilliant. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so we smooched around on the stage in front of the thousands of people while Evaporate was playing.
2: That sounds wonderful. Yeah. yeah.
3: So it's, yeah. But it's, it's nice because so many people have said like, thank you so much for letting us enjoy your wedding. And it's, you know, thousands of people there going absolutely bonkers. Nikki got a trusty inflatable bouquet of flowers. Because, you know, there's the inflatables given out at Bang Face, at the throne, everywhere. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic.
2: Did she have much choice in the matter? Or, you know, how does she feel about sort of
3: being oh, wedding, she,
2: wedded at a rave?
3: She's slightly more bonkers than me. Oh, OK. So she's, I mean, she, she wore a mask for the whole, but hers has got Mrs A on oh, it. Oh, OK. <laughs> so, Lovely. yeah, it was it was cool. You know, she she absolutely loved it.
2: I wanted to ask about Martin Cresswell, also known as Cress, yeah. the dancer, yeah. member of the team probably since the beginning. Mm. So where did you meet him or find him and <laughs> why did he become involved?
3: Back in the, the breakdancing days, I knew a lad um, Parksey from Stafford. He was like 15 or whatever when I met him. And used to hang around with him through like the acid house and then I got kicked out of Bizarre Inc by the other member because I started Bizarre Inc. And so there was the two of us, me and Dean, and then I got kicked out. So I,
2: How did you get kicked out?
3: He decided he wanted to go solo, but okay. rather than tell me, he just got me sacked from my job, which was really nice. Okay. I stopped hanging around with them for a bit, went my own way, went to like you know different, different nights and stuff like that. And then one night at Shelley's, I saw Parksy. It's like, no way, what are you doing here? And it was at that time that our first dancer, another mate called John, he'd been taking time off from uni in Sheffield to come and do gigs. And he was like, look, I'm going through my exams and everything, can't take any more time off. I need to concentrate. I'm gonna have to give up the dancing. Then I see John, who I knew was a great break dancer. So he's like, you know, obviously he should be able to dance. Would you dance for us? It's like, yeah, yeah, Sam. As long as my mate can. (laughs) Who's your mate? It's Cres. So I had no idea whether Cres could dance or not, but he turned into like, like this, you know, legend in his own lunchtime. Mm -hmm. While we were on stage, John had come out and do all his body popping and break dancing and all the rest, and Cres had come on and just point at people and intimidate them into dancing. And, you know, he was the one that everyone knew.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, he danced with us from like 91 through to, to about 93 when we, you know, we stopped doing the, the PAs. And then when that first one came back, I rang him straight up. You know, I was the best man at his wedding. Um, so, you know, we kept in contact and stuff. And it was, it was weird because we did this gig in 99, and we'd not done one since 93. And it was like we'd done one the year before. It was just as chaotic. It was a shambles at the rave, you know, trying to get stuff on and sound, all the rest. While we were on stage, it was literally like we played one the week before, you know. It was exactly the same kind of thing. So it was, you know. Then I started doing. We did the first bang face in 2008, mm-hmm. where I was doing like a, the DJ set of just alternate tunes, and, and that you know, was and Krez was dancing with us.
2: That was at the weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah.
3: The yeah, First so, weekend
2: mm-hmm. um,
3: in Camber Sands. Canva Sands, and we did two thousand and nine again. So that's when we started doing, you know, quite a few of these, what are called extended DJ sets, because
2: mm, you weren't technically allowed to do the DJ. Yeah. So Quez was sort of like your Bez.
3: Yeah, our Keith Flint. Yes. Yeah, he's just, I mean, he's a big bloke anyway, but he's just a larger than life character. Mm. You know, he was people used to love it when he'd stand at the front and just point at him, you know, he didn't have to do any fancy moves or anything. No. You know, and he's like, the one thing about the whole wearing the suit thing, like back in the day when we used to do PAs, we'd all go off, come back on to get the gear. Everyone in the crowd had recognised the MC and the two dancers. It was then two. <laughs> and that must be the janitor getting the keyboards off. <sighs> so no one knew who we were.
2: Kind of what you wanted, wasn't it? Yeah. Even though, it was your thing.
3: So they got recognised, everyone said Craig, as soon as we'd finished, everyone was out in the crowd again, apart from cuz So we were all like, out there, you know, raving. And you know, everyone recognised Trez. So he was like, he was one of the things that people knew about Alternate.
2: I don't really wanna know about all the raves that went right, I think I'd like to know if there was any ones that went horribly wrong.
3: Coming on after Chesney Hawks at an Oxford ball, that was a bit,
2: Okay.
3: This was probably in the mid mid two thousands, one one of the old ones. I mean they they were all the old ones the worst that would go wrong was the music had start playing and you weren't on Because <laughs> then
0: so everyone would know yeah,
3: that you're not. You'd you'd, you'd all run on with your <laughs> keyboards and one. But I mean, I think everyone was, you know, that after head didn't even know whether anyone was on stage or not after time. But This one, it was like an Oxford ball. Why on earth we were booked? And it got to the point where everyone was that bladdered. People walking about and stuff. We were just like walking around the stage, swapping from one keyboard to the other. Got the girlfriends on stage. Everyone was having a good laugh, throwing food about. It was just one of the worst gigs ever.
2: Okay,
3: (laughs) That, that,
2: that, that sounds all right.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it more chaotic than usual. Right. But it was just, you know, it was just one of those, the wrong place.
2: Yeah. Can you tell me about touring Brazil with Moby?
3: I mean, that was being shy again. Mm-hmm. And Moby had got like such a big name and stuff. So it was the first time we'd ever been, been to Brazil. And they weren't expecting as many people to be into the whole rave thing that turned up to the gigs. So they got these massive warehouses in the middle of nowhere, cordoned off a small section for the crowd and put the stage and everything. And then they had to open it up because there was that many people outside. Sponsored by cigarette companies. Mm-hmm. So everyone was given a little sock hat, which was a thing at the time. It's just like a tube of material that's tied at one end. Everyone in the crowd wore a hat. So it was a bit weird. It was like playing live at a Smurfs convention. <laughs> okay. Going around with Moby, see, got like this kind of, you know, everyone knew about him. But he was really quiet and really shy. He was like, oh my God, it's alternate. Didn't know about that until the book, when he did an interview for the book. Mm-hmm. So we thought he was just, you know, didn't give a flyer about us at all. Mm-hmm. Because they were the first ever raves in Brazil. You know, they've gone down like in, in rave history over mm-hmm. there. And it, they were really, really big gigs, thousands of people there. And, like, Mark Kamens, one of, one of the blokes who discovered Madonna, he was DJing there. Brazilian DJs, like, you know, the, the, because there's, there's so many DJs, you know, like, bedroom DJs or whatever, and then there was like, the ones that are making it in the scene. You know, so they're, like, they were the biggest DJs at the time in Brazil. And Moby had brought his crew with him. So there were fantastic gigs and then going on, travelling through Brazil with, with this massive entourage of people.
2: Did the Brazilians sort of get it? Because I always think that Alternate was quite quintessentially British with all the humour and everything, but I suppose on stage, mm. you know, as a spectacle. It...
3: Well, the, the records that apparently, records weren't getting out to Brazil for, for quite a while. So that, they got everything from 88, 89, 90, 91, mm-hmm. all in one go. So the music, out there he's played like where he is you wouldn't play something from 88 in 92 Mm. in the rave scene you know it was that was you know something you'd played at your house or whatever but it didn't get played it was all like the newer music they were playing across the board so you know everything was going on so some of the records had got there already and it got to the point where there's there's two bootleg albums in brazil the best of alternate where someone's got all the singles mm. and just put them in different orders and made two like, albums. So people, you go over there and people get you to sign them. It's like, actually, it's not, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even got one of these. And the bloke who even made them, I met him last time I went to Brazil.
0: Who made you know, the bootlegs?
3: Yeah. And he's like really proud of it. Yeah. It, I didn't get one. He didn't say sorry or anything. But it's, you know, it's nice because without things like that, the music probably wouldn't have got, because they were imported over there. They were quite rare. So they managed to get them and then be able to you know, produce them themselves yeah. and, and, and you know, make it what it was. So people knew us over there, yeah. which is cool.
2: Yeah, really cool. So last year was the 25 year anniversary of full on Mask hysteria hmm How did you decide to celebrate the anniversary?
3: I'm speaking to the record label, they said that they wanted to do a re-release of, of the album, Re- remaster the tracks, and possibly you know use some of the, some of the remixes, different versions, because mm-hmm. I'd done a complete remake of Armageddon and Frequency. So it's like I'd done a cover version of my own song, mm-hmm. but not sampled my song. So it was a complete cover version so I could put it out as, under my own name. Yeah. But we used the remixes of those for the album and Josh got really behind it and with these lavish ideas, we went for um, a triple pack album mm-hmm. uh, with a gatefold sleeve, mm-hmm. loads of old photos of old flyers and photos that we'd taken at, at gigs and everything. So it was a bit of a, you know, a, a kind of a collector's piece. Which was nice. Was
2: it always going to be involved with Vulcan um, Vinyl?
3: Neil Rushton has yeah. moved on to a, a different label now, yeah. but it obviously he still owns the rights to, to the songs. It was with a lot of help from, from Josh doing the, the remastering and the artwork. But it came out on um, a record label called Bleach, mm-hmm. but it still had like the, the network logos and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, but it's just. You know josh has just got light nails had you know so many fantastic ideas and it's changed the the album cover to like to black rather than do it like the original gold and so the mask really stands out even though it's not the original mask it was um, a newer one
2: okay
3: of a very similar size because the the original one that was my very very first mask that i wore on stage and it managed about six months' worth of PAs, and then someone sat on it. So if you look closely at the mask on the original album, there's like a crack that comes down the nose and down the front, because they're they're hard, the masks are, because you have to paint them loads. More tips. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it cracked Mm. some of the paint off. So I had to make myself a new mask, and they were like, have you got a mask that you can send a photographer? because it was originally for a photo shoot for the Evaporate mm-hmm. promo campaign. And so I sent them my first mass that had been sat on. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that's immortalized on, on the album, you know, and it's become like synonymous with the whole alternate thing. But we hadn't got any, because loads of people say, "If you got any high res images from like back then? it's like, there was no such thing, you know? So we'd got no decent images of, of that mass, so we had to get, very similar mask. And so if, if you look at them together. Okay, very that's different. for the
2: hardcore fans yeah, out there the, who yeah, are gonna compare there's, the masks.
3: And there's, there's plenty of hardcore geeky fans out there.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. There are lots of like weird fan bases and do you get like back in the day fan mail perhaps?
3: Yes, we got, we got fan mail and record label set up um, PO Box 202. Okay. <laughs> for people to to write to. And they did like merchandise and stuff like that. And we used to get really weird letters. I mean, there was someone wrote from LA and said the the gig we did out there completely changed their life. We thought it didn't go down very well, Mm. but it was because everyone had not seen anything like it before. Mm. Everyone stood there and stared at us. Plus the fact there was a robot going through the crowd, which freaked a lot of people out yeah so i i didn't think we'd gone down fantastic but yeah it was it was a good gig i mean we've played in la quite a few times because of those gigs back then Mm. similarly with with brazil because you know we'd made a certain impression back in 93 you know we go back every now and again
2: so what is it like still performing as this thing that was created almost as a joke that you never thought would ever? Everlast. Ever yeah. yeah. and yet here you are still, so... Well,
3: when, we, when we first started making music, you make it because it's, you know, I'd really like to try doing this kind of music, like Acid Dance or whatever, and you do something that you like, if anyone likes it, it's a complete bonus. You know, so for us to have the success that we did in the 90s, you know, it's fantastic, you know, you, more than you could have dreamed of. But if you think like back in the late 80s, if you picked something from 25 years previous, you'd never be able to play that at the rave. So for us to be able to play 25 years later at things and still be sort of relevant, you know, to what's going on, you know, you'd never have ever imagined it back in then. So it's, it's just massively flattering.
2: Do you feel less or more connected to the crowd now Than before. Have you ever really been very conscious of it?
3: I mean, the weird thing is, from up there, it looks as though it goes down completely differently than you are down there. Mm. I mean, a lot of the time back back then, people didn't know we were on stage or or the stage management was that bad. They got lights at the front of the stage blaring out. So when you were out there, you couldn't tell.
2: Whether it started.
3: Yeah. There was people walking in front of us while we're playing stuff. You know, now it's, it's, it's slightly, slightly better. Nowadays, the difference is you go to a rave back then and people knew, you know, it was like, we were about that time. Mm. Dream Frequency were about that time. SL2, Liquid, mm. all them like, you know. You, now it's like, there's, there's people going to things now and they've never heard of Alternate. It's, and it, it's a completely new kind of music to them. Mm. You know, you get people coming up and say, I didn't know about you last week. Someone played a track and I've gone through YouTube and I can't believe I've never heard this before. You know, it's people are getting into it now, 25 years on. It's mental.
2: So it's almost like a reset mm. and you're starting again. Yeah. What do you think about being a nostalgia act?
3: A lot of people, when you say nostalgia, it's like, oh, I'll out another time kind of thing, you know. Whereas I think I get booked at like a lot of techno things. And house nights and things like that, acid or whatever, I mean, you know, with the acid thing being back now, it, it, it kind of flows a bit better, but a lot of people book you when you're like an influence to what they're doing now,
0: mm.
3: you know? So they know that what you're playing will go down and people will get it. So it's not like, you know, people, people have in, in the past, I mean, there was all like late 2000s kind of backlash about the whole thing and, and people like saying, oh, the 90s were crap, blah, blah, blah. And now people are looking back at that whole era and being like, actually, you know, it's had a massive influence on what people are doing and still doing now, you know, and it, what people are doing now wouldn't be the same. It's more of a, a look back at where now came from kind of thing, rather than just like, you know, let's, let's wheel out these clowns. even though we are a bunch of
2: clowns. (laughs) And I just wanted to end on your autobiography. Why did you decide that now was the time to sort of get the memoirs out? What triggered it?
3: I've been asked quite a few times, to be honest, but never had the confidence that what I've got to say anyone would be that interested in. You know, it's just me talking and just Mark from Stafford, you know, I've always said, all the time, people come, oh man, you're a legend. I'm Mark from Stafford. I made a tune and people liked it. And that's, that's it, you know, it's a complete bonus that people liked what we did. So I've been asked a few times, I mean, even Derek May said, you need to write a book. But Bunter did his book and he, you know, he put so much work in from like completely from scratch, set his own publishing company up, got the printing in place and everything like that. And I did an interview for his book and he said, you know, of, of all the people who'd, who'd done bits, mine was one of the, the, the really interesting bits. Would I mind doing a book? Mm. And it was because he'd got everything in place with, with the writer and everything. It was like, you know, I wouldn't have known where to start. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have the confidence to go to someone and say, oh, I want to do a book, how do I go about it? So it was kind of like put there for me. You know, and even when we were doing the book, after I'd done all the interviews and everything, it was, do people still, really, you know, want to read this? But it's done really well, so.
2: So, was it sort of therapeutic, or ha- what was the process like for you doing this?
3: It was uh, Andrew Woods who, who wrote the book. He'd phone up like every day for a few hours, just ask one question, and let you ramble. And I'd go off on, like, super mental, like I've done today. And then his the difficult job he's got to do is then try and put them in the right order, mm. which was an absolute nightmare because I couldn't even remember some of the, you know, I'd have to ask friends, did we go to Germany once or twice? But it made me th- think about how important certain little bits are. Say, so for instance, my girlfriend at the time bought me a box set of records. Without that box set, Nexus 21 wouldn't have happened. Because I listened through a load of this techno on there, decided I wanted to do a techno record, sampling a particular tune, and that's how the project started. So if I hadn't have been bought that box set, it wouldn't have happened. And without Nexus 21, we wouldn't have done alternates. So that box set is you know, like really, really important. So it just made you think about things a bit more.